wife and I, Lisa, we uh, served the Lord uh, faithfully at Bristol Bible Chapel. Uh, but we have some deep roots with some of you here, um, and uh, we're rooted in Christ. So we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we'll be there for eternity together. But we, we share some things in common for a long time, some basketball, softball, and uh, such, and I'll leave that for fellowship time. Uh, if you could turn to uh, Galatians chapter 6, if you are taking notes um, and you want a title, the title is Performance in Liberty or Liberty is Perfected in Love. As you're turning there, uh, Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And uh, we don't like that word performance because we don't have or serve a performance-based religion, but a faith-based relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and the, the theme of Galatians is it's, it's a book of the gospel of grace. It starts in grace and it ends in grace. You see that grace unto you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then at the end, grow in grace in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian has a new master, no longer in slavery to the bondage or the dictates of the law. And the Christian is free to function within the spiritual realm, occupied with his Savior, totally submissive and yielding to the indwelling work of God the Holy Spirit. That's the theme of Galatians. A little background on the book, without going too far, is that The legal system under the Mosaic Law is contrasted with the law of Christ, or Christian liberty, and our Christian responsibility to one another. Romans 7.12 says, Now we know that the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. See, the law pointed men to the standard of righteousness by revealing divine holiness. It exposed sin for what it really was what we were really, and identified it our need for the substitute, substitutionary sacrifice that we spoke of this morning. In a, in a sense, it became our schoolmaster, or it uses the word pedagogue in the King James Version, the, the pedagogue, as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And so even the law itself was an act of grace by an all-wise God. And therefore, the Old Covenant was legal, external. It was given to demonstrate what true holiness was and to show men that they could not achieve it on their own merits. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what is Christian liberty? A few points on Christian liberty. How does it work? What does it include? Well, in Christ, we have been delivered from the tireless, relentless performance of religious ceremonialism. I don't know if I was talking to a brother today. Some of us grew up in Catholicism. I wore a medallion. Um, I blessed myself every time I pitched the ball from the mound. And uh, every time I went up to bat, there was a catcher one time asked me, does it help you? And I said, I think so. I was so caught up in religious ceremonialism. I want to be so good, but as we were talking this morning, I was a good sinner. It's freedom from the tyranny of a legal system that brought death and not life. It's freedom to do what God wants us to do, but it's freedom to do what's right, not because we have to, but because we want to. 
What is a Christian liberty included? It includes abiding in grace. Grace is God's method for saving men, but also a means for living a life pleasing to God. The same grace that brought us to Christ and freed us from the penalty of sin is the same grace we need to overcome the power of sin in our lives. It's grace upon grace. Grace is the divine influence of the heart and the reflection in one's life, including gratitude. It, it what turns bad men and women into good and transform, transforms the slaves of sin to the sons of God. But you know what? Christian liberty did not set aside the law altogether. Christian liberty still includes the morality of God, the moral law of God is still the expression of the will of God in our lives. The psalmist said, I delight in thy law. And Paul said, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So therefore, Christianity is not slavery to a religious system, but an acceptable response of faith to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We are not found reacting to or consumed by achieving a code of conduct that we fall short of, but we're occupied in responding to a person. So true liberty is living as we should and not as we please. Let's look at our passage today, Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bury you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own work, or bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We pray that... You would bless the reading of your word. We go as far as you would take us uh, until we come again. And Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. We see that Paul is, through the book, is continuously reaffirming his love for the Galatians by confirming that God has accepted them in the Beloved. He calls them brethren over and over. And he starts this passage in chapter 6 as brethren. It's a dear term. They are accepted in the beloved on the merits of Christ. And he could say in, in chapter 5.10, I have confidence in you through the Lord. I have confidence of Christ's work in you. The love and adoration and gratitude he has for the work of God and the saints at Galatia. Now he turns and he, he, he looks at this chapter here and he's disputing throughout the whole book about the Judaizers and, and those that would captivate some of the new converts, the Jewish converts, as well as uh, 
the Gentile converts. And he says, now that you, you have snapped out of this intoxicating uh, influence of false teachers and Judaizers, what does liberating grace truly look like? And he says, bear one another's burdens. The first five verses talk about bearing one another's burdens. Is it appropriate to us today? What a beautiful prayer today about all the people that were sick and how they just rolled off of our brother's tongue as you bore them to the Lord in prayer. Just that was wonderful. He instructs Christians in their duty to one another. You see that we're going to go through the case of a uh, sinning brother in the case of a burdened brother in the case of a teaching brother. So in the first verse here, we say, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, we see the case of a sinning brother. He's going to talk to us about treat, the treatment of a sinning brother, which is contrasted with the law. Now, the question is, who is a sinning brother? Who is a sinning sister? One overtaken. The word for overtaken is a Greek word that means one taken off guard suddenly by overwhelming temptation. Versus that which might be willful or deliberate or uh, a pattern of habitual sin that would be uh, something that you would need to discipline. This is something that comes on someone quickly. It's a lapse in judgment. You ever have it? The word for fault here is another word is trespass. It's to fall besides or near something. It's a lapse or deviation from truth and uprightness. It's a sin, a misdeed, a misstep in our walk. And when I used to run outside, I used to run and the grass would be grown over and sometimes I hit this property marker that was sticking up. What was it doing there? And I would topple over into the ditch. It was something I didn't see coming and I got caught up with or I was ignorant too and I fell into. That's a fault. Now the Galatians, the book, as I said, it talks about falling back into Judaism. In the legal system. But how does that apply to you and me as Christians? Brothers and sisters. How does it apply to us who stumble and fall from time to time? You know, there may, there may be uh, brothers and sisters who feel that they can never regain God's favor. Or that they now have to work for God's grace. Or even worse, that he or she has lost their salvation. I think Paul has an important subject here, and we're lucky we get through verse 1 if we really meditated on it. God wants us to deal with something here. I used to have, uh, when I first came to know the Lord some 25, 30 years ago, I had someone who gave me their prayer book. It was a book on prayer. His name was John. He said he didn't need it anymore because he, he sinned so great a sin that he lost his salvation. What a sad commentary. You have to work that person again and again that they are not saved on their own performance, but on Christ's performance at the cross. You couldn't earn it, therefore you couldn't lose it. Could this be a brother or sister overwhelmed with anxiety? How about a sexual sin? Or someone that has a lapse into or become drunk with alcohol? The passage doesn't tell me. The passage doesn't doesn't tell us to include some sins and exclude others. It may be a small sin or maybe an awful blunder. 
We don't know, but God is God through Paul is getting to the heart of the matter. Why? Because the law was the judge that condemned the sinner. But you and I, by grace, are to show mercy and compassion for a brother or a sister who has a temporary setback. Then, let me ask you again, who is a, who is a sinning brother? But anyone of us that has a temporary setback. Take sports, for example. Sports can humble you. And also give you opportunity to give God the glory. However, one of the damaging dangers of sports is that if you watch it or you listen to the commentators long enough, you can develop or even feed a critical spirit where all you do is pick on the bad things. You pick on the bad things. Sports can even make you defensive and want to retaliate. Usually the one that retaliates gets the fall. We can get so caught up and consumed with what others get caught up and consumed of. And we really have to look for the good in others, in in the situations of life. And leave behind a critical spirit. It says, the one overtaken in a fault needs to know confidently and assuredly that their fellowship with Christ, their master, can be restored so that they will not be swallowed up with overmuch pride. Or over much sorrow. Second uh, Corinthians seven two says this about the repentant man who needs to be forgiven and strengthened. It says so that contrarywise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one shall be swallowed up with over much sorrow. That's a great chapter if you want to learn about forgiveness. Chapter two, Second Corinthians. Now Paul's challenge here. Same verse. You who are spiritual, restore restore the one. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Now, Paul is not calling out the elders and deacons, but challenging all the Galatians that they should be progressing towards spiritual maturity. He is calling you out. He's calling me out. He's calling out the church of God as the spiritual family of God. To restore one who has fallen off the road of grace into that ditch with a spirit of meekness. So then the question is, who is spiritual among you? Can I see him? I just get to come in here and leave. But you know who you are. But God wants all of you to be the spiritual among us. To treat everyone spiritually and not after a critical, carnal spirit. So who are the spiritual among us? Here's some guidelines. And what do they look like? The spiritual among us is one who is conscious of his or her own shortcomings. And therefore, now qualified to help others. One who is sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their lives and aware of their own sinfulness. You ever wonder why God never took The old nature with us when he gave us a new nature. He left us with the old nature. Maybe so we can appreciate him for who he is. An all-wise God would know why he left you and me with the old nature. So that we could willfully serve a majestic and holy God. One who uh, exhibits the attitude of Christ in his life. Now, 
Anyone that walks with the Lord knows that the Lord Jesus Christ goes along with me on my life's journey. And when I stumble and fall, He doesn't just throw me aside, but is able to pick me up, brush me off, and gently tell me to start again. I love that song. Today is day one of the rest of my life. You ever been there? You ever mess up so much that today was the day one of the rest of eternity? And you had to forget those things that are behind and reach forth to those things that are before. But what does Paul mean by restore such a one overtaken in a fall? This word for restore is katadizo, which is a surgical term that describes setting a bone or dislocated joint or set a joint, set in joint. It takes skill for a doctor and for a patient to trust a doctor. We had a girl in the... Michaela played at Western Connecticut. We didn't have the Big East tournament. We had the Little East tournament. We had the LECs. And she would play in that. And they got up uh, by a run. In the bottom of the inning, someone hit a ball in a gap. And two girls went and they collided. And one girl broke her hand. She had to have metal plate and everything. I wanted her to hurry up and get to the hospital because you were playing with a bunch of girls. You know, they're, they're really compassionate and empathetic. And I want to win the game. So... She comes, she shows us everything. She had to wait four or five days to get this metal plate and everything because she had to trust the doctor in such a way that they would put everything back together and cause the severed nerves to to grow back. That's the same word here. He or she that helps to restore a, a fallen brother or sister is one who established one to their rightful place of unbroken fellowship with their Savior and his brothers and sisters. This takes skill. In what manner? What manner does this restoration take place? It takes place in the spirit of meekness. One who doesn't act in the spirit of pride, of superiority, but in the spirit of meekness. I'm sure you have a lot of servants that serve in humility. Not looking for the credit here. Always looking on your concerns and not the concerns of themselves. We, verse, you guys know verses 22 and 23 of chapter 5 is the fruit of the Spirit. Meekness is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's gentleness, mildness, one not easily offended, one that does not retaliate when, when injured. It's a calmness, calm assurance. It's a, it's a tenderness with a genuine desire to see the, the, for the welfare of others. It's really a shepherd's heart. Who has a shepherd's heart among you? That's the spiritual among you. The opposite, just in case if we get meekness mixed up, it's good to look at the opposite. The opposite would be what? Arrogance. Or harshness or haughtiness. It's a better than thou attitude. It's one that says they should get what they deserve. What you sow is what you reap. Well, we read this here and maybe we'll get to it and see what that really means. Or how about this? They made their bed, let them sleep in it. You ever hear that? Well, those are not such a gracious word of encouragement, are they? And James 1.20 says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. There's a great example. A preacher who was marvelously converted was once before a drunkard. And because of the demanding ministry and the great deal of issues that he was dealing with, with the people of God, he was tempted and got drunk. And he was so ashamed that he went and to give his resignation to the deacons, it was a deacon board type of uh, 
uh, gathering. But instead of accepting the resignation, they put their arms around the man and said, let's pray. Kind of similar to the brothers that were praying with me today. The next Sunday, there was a man in the crowd that said, I never heard a greater sermon in my life than that man preached. You see, those deacons were real surgeons. They knew how to set a bone in place. The man was so conscious of his own frailty and shortcomings, therefore he was more effective in meeting the spiritual needs of others. That's the type of humility, brothers and sisters, that is necessary in our local assemblies. Freedom to serve who once were slaves to sin. Now the reason he gives in verse 1 is that consider yourselves, lest thou also be tempted. Consider thyself. Know that you and I are made of the same stuff. We're not immune to temptation or being carried away. So who is truly spiritual among us? One who recognizes his own faults and failures. One who rejoices to see others succeed, even if it's at their own cost. One who rejoices when others overcome afflictions, addictions, tragedies, and adversities. I like that one the best, so I'm going to read it again. One who rejoices when others overcome afflictions, addictions, tragedies, and adversities. Been there? One who holds no ill will against his fellow man. This all stands opposed to a critical spirit. How do you and I measure up to the spiritual man or woman? that Paul is talking about in this chapter. Let's look at verse 2. Now, try not to use too many pages here. Now, in this section, chapter 6, 2 to 6, well-known verses, right? We find that there are burdens that we share and that there's burdens that we bear, that we must bear. But there is one burden you can neither share nor bear, and that is the burden of sin. Only one place to get rid of that burden is at the cross. Jesus Christ alone can lift that heavy burden of our sin. He says, come unto me all who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Here we see the case of a burdened brother. These are burdens we can share. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. How are we to help a burdened brother? Let's get practical. How do we help a burdened brother or sister? Carry their cross for them? Simon Cyrene of Cyrene, he carried the Lord's cross. Or are we to carry them to the Lord in prayer? Are we to share in their burdens... Maybe their joys and their sorrows as they walk their pilgrim pathway. In this passage here, Paul is promoting the fellowship, the importance of the communion and fellowship of the saints. These are things that we can do as a community of burden bearers. Is there anyone here that doesn't have a fault? Anyone here that doesn't have a weakness? How about an anxiety? Irritability, inconsistency in your walk. All I have to do is look in the mirror. That's me. Has anyone here experienced a tragedy, a disappointment, 
been grieved? You see, each and every one is qualified to be a burden bearer. We have faults, some by ignorance, some by disobedience, some by weaknesses, infirmities, and disappointments. Therefore, each one of us qualifies to bear one another's burdens now that we are indwelt with God's Holy Spirit. So cheer up. Cheer up. Have faith. There will be some that come alongside of you in your sorrows. I tell that firsthand, but some of you know that. Until you go through it, you don't know it. But cheer up. There will be those that God has placed in your life to come alongside of you to help you bear your burdens and your sorrows. Okay, so bear. Here, bear you one another's burdens. Bear comes from a word that means to take up the hands, hold up to support. And this burden, word for burdens is we get from a Greek word, baros, or barrels. It's a root word of wheelbarrow. It's more than I can bear on my own, I need a wheelbarrow. It speaks about the troubles of life, the things that weigh down brothers and sisters, failures, temptations, testings, and trials. That which can be shared with the fellowship of believers. Now, how can I share the burdens with my brothers and sisters? Maybe I can fix a flat tire. Maybe I can shovel their driveway or snow blow their driveway. Maybe I can pay somebody's bill. Maybe I can spend a little time with a suffering saint or bring over a meal to an afflicted one. Or I can cry with a parent who has a wayward son or daughter. What does that all look like but grace? Liberating grace. And so fulfill the law of Christ. So what is the will of Christ? Uh, the law of Christ? Does God have the same ethics today as he had back then? Does God have the same morality? Has anything changed? God is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The difference is that the Christian doesn't live under the bondage and slavery of an external system with terrifying results. John MacArthur says, we live under the internal restraints of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we have the power to what? To love unconditionally. To forgive unconditionally. To comfort unconditionally. To show compassion. You got it. Unconditionally. And thus fulfill the law of Christ. So faith responds to a new master. It does not react to a code of conduct, but responds to a person. When you respond to your brothers and sisters in love and you yield to the Holy Spirit's work in your life, you have a great testimony to the world and you show them the person of the standard of righteousness. Your life is a living testament to the law of Christ. And others might be saved because of your testimony of how you respond to an all-wise God who has placed the people and the circumstances in your life. That's what we'll be held accountable for at the Bema Seat of Christ. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. 
What this verse is saying is that man cannot stand alone, isolated from the fellowship of believers. You see, a key to biblical, uh, a key uh, to biblical uh, principle of fellowship is humility. Romans 12:3 says, "For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think." but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And in Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, that self, selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. See, a man must have a sober assessment of himself, recognizing that he has been crucified with Christ and now Christ lives through him. Galatians 2.20. He is to think of others more highly than themselves. Or Romans 15.1 says, say, says that we are to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. See, we are to show kindness and consideration without selfishly asserting our own opinions, especially or our own rights, especially in the matters that are morally indifferent. That's what Christian freedom is about. The Lord, again, is the example. He was willing to set aside His majesty and His rights of privilege and His desires to be at the right hand of God by becoming a man. To do the Father's will. So man who thinks too highly of himself is deceiving his own self and ready for a nasty fall. A man who is full of self-conceit and pride is constantly leading his mind astray. One has said the biggest cheat is self-deceit. Self-deceit is undue pride. It's an exaggerated opinion of oneself, one's qualities and abilities that leads to self-deception. Pride, everything comes from pride. All our sin comes from pride is a great hindrance that will cause one to condemn others with a critical spirit and at the same time excuse oneself from serving others for which Christ died. Do you recognize these characteristics in your own life? Biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship is needed to bear one another's burdens. We can go into discipleship. Discipleship gives us a controlled environment to point out those inconsistencies with a brother or sister that we can trust so that they can help us on, the way, on our way to walk closer to the Lord. It's getting our eyes off ourselves and on the Lord. That's what the fellowship does. Can't do that at home. Not everyone can. Some can because they're incapacitated. We know a man, a great man, Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him. And Proverbs thirteen twenty says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. You see, we're learning from wise men and wise women how to walk with the Lord in a manner that is pleasing to Him. It's a pretty good provision and recipe for salvation success. So let me ask you, 
Who is a burdened brother? Who is a burdened sister? Every one of us, right? Every one of us at one time or another is spoken of right here. Now, I'm going to skip verse 4 and come back. I'll read it and come back. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. This word for bear is a different word. It's forshan. And it really is a burden that we cannot share. So we talked about burdens we can bear and uh, we can share. And here's a burden that we cannot share. Burdens we bear, whether it's physical pain or infirmity, weakness, mental anguish, pressure, tension, grief, burdens placed on us by Christ. Now, if you give me some liberty, J. Vernon McGee says this word burden is a load impossible to share. And he speaks of uh, a cargo ship out on the ocean. But I see a lot of children here, and we know where the children came from. But think of a a, a young uh, mother carrying her child for nine months. A child in a mother's womb can only be born by her mother. Right? So there are burdens that we can share and there's burdens we cannot share that we have to bear alone. doesn't mean we have to be alone. Let me, let me uh, read a few. Burdens that you and I must bear alone. Certain burdens that the Lord may, may have placed on you and you can place on Him during your fellowship here on earth as He molds you into the character of His dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that in Psalm 55.22. Now, How about suffering? No one could suffer for you. I mean, in your place. There are certain problems that are yours alone. A loss of a job. A loss of a spouse. How about a loss of a child? There are physical challenges. Whether I have have good eyesight or not. Oh, you look much better. Just kidding. Or I'm missing a limb or I have ALS. How about sicknesses? No one could take my place, nor do they want to take my sickness. Although it seems like you guys spread it around. You want to share it. How about mental illness or mental anguish? That's another thing you cannot share. It belongs to me. As I point to my head. And how about death? Death is a burden that you and I will have to bear alone yet it doesn't mean that we have to be alone. We have a, a young lady in our assembly, Brooke Lowe, and she has a protein deficiency and a chromosome imbalance. I think she has an extra chromosome or something. And uh, she gets deathly sick uh, from time to time. It's repetitive. Ammonia levels build up in her body. And I'm sure that her mom and dad, uh, Jim and Shelley, would have freely taken Brooke's disease upon themselves in a heartbeat if they could bear their daughter's burdens, but they can't. That's a burden that she must bear alone. So let's go back to verse 4. Here's some constraints or guardrails to burden bearing. First, we must confess the moat that is in our own eye before removing any slivers in our brother's eye. But it says, prove. Prove his own work. Examine your own motives and actions and behaviors before the Lord. 
that you might rejoice in yourself alone. Now that means to lay bare our consciences before God. And we can expect peace and comfort in our souls. You know what? God has the divine prerogative to reverse my conscious decisions. There are so many times I come out of an elders meeting and I'm going to do something. Or I'm not going to come back. <laughs> and he reverses my conscious decisions. We need to come lay things bare before the Lord and examine, so He can examine our motives, our actions, and our behaviors. But there's a warning here, brothers and sisters, that we are not to compare ourselves with others. You are the only person that can control your own attitude and your own response with God's help. And therefore, you can rejoice alone in God's approval of your work and not in the failures of others. And then in verse 5, we'll go back to verse 5, every man will be accountable. Every man shall bear his own burden. That means that every one of us will be accountable to the response of faith during this life. 2 Corinthians 5, 5.10 says, we must all, we must all what, come before the judgment seat of Christ and give account for what we have done in our body, whether good or bad. We won't be judged for that sin, but we will be judged for what we have done with him. And, and a lot of people talk about he's going to wipe away the tears from our eyes of that usefulness, uselessness. But you know what? He's going to wipe the tear from your eye where he was doing a marvelous work in your lives and you knew nothing about it. You didn't take the credit. You didn't bolster glory in yourself. And he did some mighty works affecting people that you might not even know or generations not even born. He's going to wipe away that tear of joy. Those will be the burdens that you carry and will be accountable for at the Bema Seat of Christ, at the Judgment Seat of Christ. Now let's take a look at verse 6, the case of a teaching brother. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Here we have the case of a teaching brother. The taught are mentioned first. Why? Because Paul is continuing the theme of giving out the fact that there is Christian responsibilities within our Christian liberty. It's a great privilege and it's a great burden to teach God's word and declare the full counsel of God. But it's an equally responsibility to those of us exercised by it and to apply it in our lives. Someone prayed today that we not just listen to it, but we do it. Sharing in common communication, this word kononeo, it has a twofold meaning that seems to apply. Kononeo means to come into communion or fellowship with or become a sharer, to be made a partner in God's work. By sharing the things of Christ to others. When you send those young men and women across the continent to other continents for the word of God, you are sharing in their ministry. That's Conaneo. They are blessed because you are in support of them. It's, we are to encourage our teachers who labor in the word of God in prayer. We're to pray for them. We're to tell them how their message and their lives are affecting us for good. We're to pick out the godly intent. Remember, look for the good. 
And then in a secondary sense, it means to share in common support. Share with them. God is built in uh, into the gospel provision to meet the needs of his ministers. You and I can share in removing the burdens so the gospel can go out unhindered. It's almost like God is saying, if you're going to serve me, I'm going to honor those who honor me. Part of that is that if someone is ministering to your spiritual needs and the spiritual needs of his people, he is going to make sure that their temporal or more practical needs are being met. And even under the law, those who ministered about holy things lived of the things of the temple, so hath the Lord ordained that those who preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And now, verses 7 through 9, and we're almost out of time. But these are the boundaries, and we could come back at some time, but I'm going to uh, just read a quote from A.T. Pearson, and it, it's about the boundaries or the constraints to our Christian liberty. True freedom is found in obedience to proper restraint. A river finds liberty to flow only between banks. Without these, it would only spread out into a slimy, stagnant pool. Planets uncontrolled by law would only bring wreck to themselves and to the universe. And even fences regulate our freedom and protect us. So if God has placed boundaries on these major bodies of water in his awesome solar system, why wouldn't it be any different for us Christians? We need fences in our lives to restrain and regulate our Christian liberty. Now we'll just conclude. There was something I wanted to tell you guys. Yeah, there it is. So we'll conclude today and, and maybe sometime and we'll, we'll, we'll go the rest of this chapter. It's a great chapter on Christian liberty and it's a great chapter of encouragement. So a couple concluding points. For the trials that you bear and the trials that you share will be rewarded in heaven because you did it unconditionally without looking for the credit. You will have tears of joy and be overwhelmed with the Lord Christ and He will be overwhelmed with you. The world grows strangely dim as you do all things to please Him. So let's conclude. Who is the spiritual among us? Well, how do we bear one another's burdens? Our natural response as Christians now indwelt by the Holy Spirit is that we should respond in the spiritual sense as we walk with the Lord. Who is spiritual? One who recognizes his own faults and failures and rejoices to see others succeed. God, through Paul, is making a case for Christian responsibility and Christian liberty. Because why? Stinginess is not next to godliness. God is built into the gospel provision for the needs of his ministers. You and I can share in removing burdens so the gospel can go out unhindered. The fellowship of the saints helps us to provide a fresh perspective so that we would not be consumed with affairs of this life, that we might please him who has called us to be a soldier. And we need to re realize that we can't fully mature without the fellowship of the saints and discipleship amongst the, amongst the brethren. Because there are some grace and some blessings will only be experienced with coming out to the meetings of the brethren. 
and therefore we should not take our fellowship for granted. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. Thank you for your saints. I pray that they all would be healed and be back in full fellowship. Uh, keep those that have not contacted any uh, colds or sicknesses from, from uh, uh, getting sick. We pray for those that uh, have continued recur- recurring pneumonia and coughs, that you would stay that as well, and that you would help uh, those that um, really at this point can't help themselves. So, Father, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for allowing me to speak here just for a few moments. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.